This episode of AVXL is recorded on April 10th, 2020. We're going to talk about free content, classic movies, the woes of old CG and 4K, the weirdness of 4K at 60 frames per second, software-defined radios, calibration mayhem, and so much more. And don't forget, ask at AVXL.com if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. If I sound like I'm breathing heavily, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize because I'm at 7,500 feet Yikes. in the San Luis Valley, and the air is thin here. Oh, my goodness. You've been playing around. Speaking of thin, you've been playing around with software-defined radios, have you? Yeah. I picked one up a while ago, and I finally had some free time to take a look at it and start doing the initial playing around with it and experimenting with it. For the given cost, one of these radios is about 20 bucks on Amazon mm -hmm. and for a decent one. And these were all based upon over-the-air tuners that used to be popular uh, sure. for people who didn't have ATSC tuners in their TVs. It turned out that the hacker community got a hold of these and realized that it could tune a far wider range of frequencies than just TV signals. These radios have become immensely popular over the last decade in terms of just having mm -hmm. something that has the ability to receive a wide range of frequencies for just receiving. There is no transmit on these products. So the first thing I did was immediately go right online and using literally a cheap little antenna sitting on my desk, I'm able to, <laughs> able to pick up aircraft ADS-B signals that transmit position and speed and other information. You're able then to overlay that in real time on a nifty map and you can play air traffic controller. Or if you're just curious, what is that aircraft flying over my house right now? It's uh, <laughs> the weirdest thing. With that link to the internet, then it can do lookups on tail numbers and then give you information about that particular aircraft and who owns it. That's just one of many, many uses. I find it just as interesting just to look at the water of a band of frequencies just to see, mm -hmm. especially something like, say, FRS or GMRS, uh, public radio services, you can tell real quick when somebody's talking just by how that waterfall <laughs> looks, rather than, say, a tone being generated or a digital signal being uh, used on a particular frequency. Anyway, it is beyond flexible. The software is widely available. It's mostly free or, you know, chip in a beer if you really like what you're getting involved in. But it's low cost and you can take it as far as you want. The world of RF opens up to you. Everything from the satellites <laughs> flying overhead to, like I said, aircraft nearby to people on walkie-talkies. And it's almost unlimited what you can do with it. And because it's that receive-only side of it, I would be comfortable gifting this to a young person with nefarious uh, purposes. <laughs> but there's little little harm you can do with one of these since you Get are just hooked listening. into the technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not broadcasting. You're just listening. That's fun and interesting. And you can look at all the frequencies. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm enjoying it. You were excited about uh, Altered Carbon Season 2 on Netflix. I'm about halfway through it. This has been a series I think both of us really enjoyed the first year, or the first season, I should say. The second season, again, launched a couple weeks ago. I got to say, uh, Netflix's Letter to the King, which is from Downton Abbey's uh, Force Majeure, or Force period, uh, Julian Fellows, was unbelievably disappointing. What a mess. <laughs> I wanted so much to like that. There were kids and knights and mayhem and magic, and it just was atrocious. 
I was doing a lot of speaker testing over the last couple of weeks, specifically focusing on a lot of Netflix content with Dolby Atmos Audio. Uh, it included, of course, Altered Carbon Season 2. I burned through that. <laughs> the story itself is awesome. I will say some of the acting maybe doesn't quite grab me the way it did in the first season, but the story mm -hmm. is epic. I look forward to Season 3, hopefully, because they do kind of leave it at a cliffhanger. And, uh, well... You kind of don't, don't, no spoilers. <laughs> the second half of that season they put out for Altered Carbon really picks up. I think it really, the story really kind of comes together in the second, uh, the second half, so to speak. Oh my goodness, I'm enjoying it though. I was just thrilled to see my favorite innkeeper slash uh 19th century poet back. That's all I'm gonna say. The, uh, okay, um, for CGI <laughs> effects, that very, the very first thing you're gonna see when you watch season two is him being regenerated from the data right. or whatever. That is one of the most beautiful looking 4K HDR. I was watching it in Dolby Vision. Uh, that is one of the most beautiful CGI things I've ever seen on on the screen. It is just so detailed and, and well done. And it's just oh, visually man. speaking, really cool. Speaking of uh, Atmos, if uh, you have an Atmos system and you're looking for somebody to show it off, the opening scene in Gravity, it's utterly terrifying. I'll just leave it at that. I'm always looking for good Atmos content. Well, you've got meteors and space and mayhem and things are moving around and it's just really kind of terrifying. Um, I've been putting around a lot on Kobas and Spotify when I've had time to, to, to kind of sit down and, and not be uh, interrupted. I found a, like a Mike Watt album that was released in 2016 that I had no idea existed, the Mike Watt Ringspiel Tour, which is from 95, and a bunch of other stuff. So it's been kind of fun, and then downloading more and more stuff to my dedicated audio player. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about is we read through like the entire first Lord of the Rings book with the boys, the Fellowship of the Ring, and so we we you know let them watch the movie, which was, I don't know, on Amazon Prime or, or Netflix. And all I could think was like, 4K is cruel to the special effects in Lord of the Rings, where you're looking at that and you're like, oh, I don't remember thinking like when they ran across that bridge, yep, that's CG. <laughs> and because of the way I think that was filmed, in addition, they had to exaggerate a lot of the color in order for it to show up. I believe that was a big deal for 3D at the time, I think, one of the very first movies. Oh. So the way they did it, it can be very cruel when you look at some favorite content remastered in 4K. It doesn't have quite the magic maybe it did before, but still, I absolutely love the latest stuff coming out on 4K UHD, especially yeah. with the audio that's available on these discs. Up to 7 or 8 megabit just for audio, you know. 50 60 80 megabit for video it's just that <laughs> if you have a big screen like any decent size 55 inch on up to the biggest projectors that's just a fantastic video source to show off your system i was doing a lot of listening to specific audio portions of mad max fury road that was done oh, no. really really well one of the cool things that popped up this week uh, related to just Dolby Vision content in general, mm -hmm. but the folks over at HD Fury in conjunction with the folks that love to hack on hardware and come up with new uh -huh. and cool ways to use their gear, a couple of the HD Fury products, and I'm thinking of the Vertex 2 in particular, which is a, a mega switch, scaler, reprocessor, audio stripper, it can pretty much do anything with 4K HDR on down, any way you want to mm -hmm. manipulate it. But what they're doing is taking Dolby Vision content in real time, actually converting it to be compatible with HDR10 TVs. So if your TV is only HDR10 compatible, like many of the original 
original, say, Samsung LCDs. They don't support Dolby Vision. They only have HDR10, maybe HDR10 Plus nowadays. What they're able to do then is with certain disc players or certain sources, you're able to feed that data stream into the Vertex, have it in real time, do all of the conversions for Dolby Vision and feed the, the HDR10 only TV what it needs in order to reproduce oh, wow. that same visual. The key with Dolby Vision is that you're able to adjust the numbers used in the code words for the video stream, the overall scene brightness and the peak brightness detail per frame or per scene whereas with hdr10 it's fixed one of the visual things i see right off the bat with a title like mad max fury road is the very beginning opening credits where it's this blood red logos on a black background and if you watch it on hdr10 it kind of looks washed out to me because it's at kind of a hmm. fixed overall brightness level for the whole content. Right. It's static. But with something like the Vertex 10 and the right setup on the back end, which you can read about on their website, you're able to program that basically with the appropriate player to then constantly adjust those numbers for an HDR 10 only TV to give you that full Dolby Vision experience. This also applies directly to any projector out there, which most of them do not support Dolby Vision either, but you're able to now create Dolby Vision style viewing conditions on an HDR10 TV using a product like this. I haven't seen any problems with it, with devices including Apple's set-top box, the Apple TV, that is a big Dolby Vision supporting device, in addition to other products I've seen that people connect to the Vertex in order to basically create that Dolby Vision style viewing experience on a TV that doesn't support it. What's the cost on one of those? I want to say the Vertex lists for like 400 bucks. Yeah, 399. It's an amazing box. But if you don't need something like that, I got to say they probably have something a little simpler. This does include four HDMI inputs, two outputs that can be combined any which way. Uh, this could oh, also wow. act as a full HDR splitter. So if you have two HDR compatible TVs and you want to feed them the exact same signal, this is this kind of box does it. It's also used a lot for just stripping audio at full bitrate and feeding it to devices that might not otherwise be compatible within a typical home theater setup. A super jack of all trades box is something I would uh, <laughs> uh for dealing with anything related to the latest HD standards, HDR, 4K standards on down. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fantastic. Cool. But I will check and see if they've got something, a less expensive way of doing it. But if you've got a great setup, that's what you're missing, is that ability to have that compelling visual of Dolby Vision content. This is one way to do it with your current gear and not have to especially think of something like, say, a $5,000 per projector installation where, hey, it's a great <laughs> it's a great projector, but I'm not scrapping that just to have Dolby Vision. Right. This would be a relatively affordable upgrade for something like that. I wouldn't say, you know, pairing a $400 box with a $400 TV is, you know, maybe there are better investments there. But but it's doable now. But and if I, you have a significant amount invested in your system, this is a way to add Dolby Vision without replacing totally. thousands of dollars worth of gear. And that's just, I think it's sense. just kind of neat. It's like, well, if the TV's not capable of generating dynamic code words from appropriate content, mm-hmm. you can put a box in the middle to have it do that instead. And... Nice. effectively add that functionality to to an existing setup and i think that's uh it's a wonderful thing anyway that that caught my attention I mean, i'm like really <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> neat and it seems to be compatible with all the popular affordable and expensive blu-ray players out there and cool folks are on it and i appreciate it uh, there's also a whole thread you can dig into if you do a search over at abs forums that, that's the granddaddy of all information <laughs> it just keeps coming oh, it, oh my goodness uh are also just a quick shout out uh with all of the COVID 19 stuff going on right now 
and the need of compute power. Folding at home is uh-huh. back in the news, and I've been running that on my workstation when I can, uh, and trying not to cook my CPU, my overclock CPU and GPU too much. So I typically run it on light, but it turns out that folding at home has now created what? The largest distributed computer in the world. Uh, it was oh, wow. 1.5 exaflops. <laughs> of performance, uh, peak That's performance. a very large number. Now it's probably exceeded two. That's just ridiculous. And they are currently, if you just leave everything on default, it is actually targeting the receptor of that virus to figure a way, to le- understand exactly how it works and its mechanism for doing what it does. Many, many moons ago, back in the day, uh, something called DLTV, we, we, I think that's where we <laughs> started we our folding yeah. at home team. And that eventually transitioned to the Techzilla team. And that team still lives today. (laughs) And it's still in the top 30. I don't know if we're in the top 25 or not, but I ended up uh, adding that, that number as my, as my team number. And so I'm back uh, folding for a team Techzilla. (laughs) Anyway, if you do have the spare compute cycles or you need a space eater, or you want to turn your workstation into a space eater, fire that app up in a, let it roll. See, Hard OCP is in ninth. Maximum PC is 14th. Tom's Hardware, 19th. Techzilla's at 24. Hey, top 25. I'll take it. Woo! <laughs> at home.org if uh, you want to learn more about that. Uh, HBO has joined a lot of streaming services, doing something nice for everybody that is uh, pounds stay at home right now. There's a tweet that came out from HBO that summed it up pretty easily. Quote, my bosses want me to tell you that these series will be available to stream on HBO Now and HBO Go for free. Series uh, include Ballers, Barry, Silicon Valley, Six Feet Under, The Sopranos, Secession, True Blood, Veep, and The Wire, amongst others. Uh, The Wire and The Sopranos are classics. Secession is brutal and great to watch. It's about uh, a crazy media empire father pitting his children against each other uh, while attempting to do media empire mayhemy stuff. The acting in that is incredibly strong. Uh, Six Feet Under, I've heard good things about. Silicon Valley, haven't watched much of. Uh, Ballers is hysterical. The other thing that happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, Disney Plus hit 50 million subscribers in five months. Hulu, which is very old at this point, is at 30 million subscribers, which I think says something about A, Disney's content, and B, how much uh, many people hate watching commercials uh, on Hulu. Uh, Netflix, of course, is far in the lead with 167 million subscribers globally. Everything else at, at Disney is a mess. And I, I, like, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to give a shout out to everybody. You know, in about a week and a half, Disney's going to lay off pretty much all their non-essential employees. The parks are closed. It's crazy. Uh, ESPN has no sports to play. Uh, all the ah, movies are shifting. racing, baby. Um, if there's one yeah. thing I will say that okay. has thoroughly yes. grabbed my attention is the iRacing East, League. It's it's been good for esports this year, but I mean, when you look at when you look at other stuff, right? Oh yeah. Um, Black is... Widow and Mulan have new release dates that are far out this summer. They basically shot Artemis Fowl to Disney Plus. It's not even going to get a release in theaters. It'll be interesting to see because I think this is a big experience. This is turning. I, I want to say that's experience. already available on Disney Plus. Artemis Fowl. I think so. Yeah, but that was supposed to have a theatrical release, and they just they canned it. They're going to release it. And uh, I missed this, Disney but Plus. apparently, about a week ago, Disney Plus updated the app, at least on my TV. And I didn't, I wasn't watching it really before because they don't have a lot of content. I am that interested in, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> and the other thing about whatever numbers Disney's posting, there are a lot of people like right. me who bought a TV recently or a product that included free Disney Plus, and 
Right. I highly doubt I'm going to continue that subscription when it's over. There's just not enough there. I blew through yeah, the Mandalorian, I mean, and that was okay, you know. But but with this latest update with the Disney Plus app, at least on my LG TV, it, I want to say it added Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision. One of those oh, was good. missing, I believe, and because I enjoyed the Mandalorian in Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision, and that was uh, yeah, visually looked great. Uh, but anyway. It's been it's Update been crazy. Like <laughs> the the Verge did a, a big like rundown of all the shifts on the Disney launches. So yeah, Artemis Fowl is supposed to launch on Disney Plus this summer instead of on May 29th. Uh, Mulan's gone from March 27th to July 24th. Um, Free Guy, which is uh, Taika Waititi, uh, who's amazing, and Ryan Reynolds, who's one of my favorites, is opening in December 11th instead of July 1st. Jungle Cruise, which I wasn't particularly looking forward to, is now opening uh, a year later on 2021. Indiana Jones, the 15th Indiana Jones movie, has gone from July 9th, 2021 to July 29th, 2022. It's nuts. You know, I'm not particularly surprised given the theaters being closed. Right. Um, the last thing anybody wants to do is sit note. in a crowded theater. <laughs> <laughs> Wondering like if a... that person coughing oh. is a super cougher or not. By the way, this is the uh, also the first anniversary of the Criterion Channel, CriterionChannel.com, Criterion's uh, streaming service, uh, and they're bringing back one of their uh, early, most popular things they were streaming, which is a bunch of Columbia Pictures noir films, including one of my favorites, uh, Lady from Shanghai, which is Orson Welles being just epic. Uh, and uh, they have a ton of Toshiro Mifune films. That's like Kurosawa's favorite actor. Uh, so if, if you haven't watched The Seven Samurai, watch it. Maybe watch The Magnificent Seven first just to set yourself up for it. This would be Toshiro Mifune's uh, 100th birthday. Aw. Did you see the Ars Technica article uh, on Comcast data caps? No. I love Ars Technica. Um, so so normally, right, Comcast charges 10 bucks per 50 gigabyte. Get up to one terabyte, and then they charge you 10 bucks for 50 gigabytes over one terabyte until you hit $50 and you have unlimited data. Ooh. And uh, Ars Technica, basically, the pandemic shows Comcast could kill data caps forever without ruining its network, right? Because all these people are at home streaming a lot. And what I think by Comcast standards is an alarmingly thoughtful move. Quote, instead of raking in as much overage fees as it can, Comcast decided to upgrade everyone to unlimited data for no extra charge for two months beginning March 13th, and its network has had no problem handling it. Uh, notes Ars Technica. So Comcast has basically said they've had a 32% increase in peak traffic since March 1st, as much as 60% in some parts of the United States. VoIP and video conferencing are up 212%. VPN traffic is up 40%. Gaming downloads are up 50%. Streaming video is up 38%. They describe this as unprecedented, but, quote, Comcast, it's within the capacity of our network, and we continue to deliver the speeds and support the capacity our customers need while they're working, learning, and connecting from home. This is from the company that claimed that if too many people downloaded too much stuff, everything would collapse and life would end as we know it, and everything would suck, and they would have to, like, forple the charges on everything. As a Comcast internet user, subjectively, I think they're throttling. Certain bandwidth speed tests right now, like the popular yeah. ones, if you run them, are ridiculously low. The upload speed is normal, but the download speed is about half of what we typically get. However, mm -hmm. with off of the router, however my router is pinging out to do its own internal speed test, that shows normal. But oh, funny. we have noticed some differences in the how either Comcast is shaping the traffic well, or just ensuring that we're not, you know. I mean, uh, but we are paying it, for high speed and we're not quite getting it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean that's also. I mean, Comcast has been known to throttle things. Comcast throttled Netflix in order to get Netflix to sign an agreement to pay Comcast for bandwidth, which is a crappy, evil kind of Comcasty thing to do. The article. Uh, I just hope there's more competition out there. I, every time I go to a well, client's house or something, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I get one gig up and down for sixty bucks a month," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. Like, where do you? <laughs> oh, it's horrible. But it's, I mean, it's, but it's also, it's, it's, you know, one of the, one of the things uh, John Brodkin points out in this article uh, up on Ars Technica is that Comcast has like waved caps all over the Northeast in places where they have competition, right? Where, you know, in San Jose and Alameda, there's actually viable competition from alternative vendors. It's really obvious if Comcast doesn't have competition other than, say, DSL at like four megabits, they turn the screws on because they can, because you have nowhere else to go true one of the things uh broadkin also points out is is some of the issues that people have found with uh with uh comcast data metering and stuff uh right now at this point the caps are expected to be back on may 13th unless they choose to extend the largesse of the comcast i also was i was kind of taken aback i saw this uh headline that well i'm going to quote reuters south korean panel maker samsung display has decided to end all of its production of liquid crystal display panels in south korea and china by the end of this year i was like what (laughs) and it turns out that uh apparently quantum dot lcds are not lcds and that they're gonna basically focus for the next five years uh, converting one of its South Korean LCD lines to do quantum dot screens. They've got like two production lines in South Korea, two in China. It sounds like three of those lines are going to get shut down and one of them is going to get converted to quantum dot production technology. I believe they are exiting their own manufacturing of all LCDs. What they're doing is probably ramping up or they're comfortable at this point ramping up the quantum dot enhanced oleds that they have been showing very very privately over the last couple of years my understanding is that companies like sharp will pick up some of that lcd manufacturing that samsung Mm -hmm. may require for specific sizes as they already do in certain cases samsung does not make every screen they sell they do most of them but not every size sometimes they need specific sizes and they'll go to third-party companies that do really good work to say hey fill in this gap we want to be able to offer this particular size of tv will this be the last year for samsung lcd televisions no we'll probably still see stuff come out next year but hopefully that will also indicate that they'll be pushing that quantum dot enhanced oled where effectively they're using a blue oled emitter with quantum dot red and green in order to get those two subpixels, and then just a clear window for the blue emitter and that gives you red blue and green to do your all three subpixels that you'll need for the display samsung has been quietly working on this for a number of years and this will be their next gen tv this will be the direct competitor for lg's oled i would assume that lg will probably i'm sure they're aware of everything going on and you know <laughs> they don't have to do much right now because they're There is no competition for their OLED technology. What Samsung is showing off is kind of next-gen OLED in the sense of it shouldn't require that fourth white subpixel for high luminance output that can wash out a picture if you drive it too hard. They don't, but still, this will get it to a true three RGB subpixel OLED screen that should have all the characteristics we know and love about those TVs. It definitely will be Samsung's new flagship. Cool. We will see. Let's see if there's a CES in 2021. But if if that happens, I am hoping that TV will be shown publicly there. Maybe not. That would be nice. I think it's still early. I think Samsung's probably got another year or two of LCDs only before they officially launch a flagship next-gen display product. 
Uh, Amazon Prime Video, big change for uh, anybody who's using an iPhone, iPad, Apple TV. Uh, Prime Video is now actually uh, letting you do in-app rentals and purchases without leaving the app. Apple's App Store, basically they take a 30% cut of anything sold through an app that's sold through the Apple Store. Prime Video would basically be like, go elsewhere. <laughs> go, to your, go to your computer. Go somewhere other than here to purchase or rent this uh, this title. This actually uses Amazon's, not Apple's, in-app system to process. Uh, Apple told The Verge that there is, quote, an established program for premium subscription video entertainment providers to offer a variety of customer benefits, including integration with the Apple TV app, AirPlay 2 support, TVOS apps, and Universal Search series support, blah, 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 blah. Sounds like they essentially came to a deal finally. It's like, well, yeah. Apple wanted their 30%. <laughs> Amazon's like, yeah, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> And after some careful negotiation. Oh, my goodness. A deal was struck. Yeah. Basically, that means Apple's decided that uh, Prime Video is a premium video entertainment app alongside uh, Canal Plus and I think one or two others. So this is useful. It's kind of nice. Prime Day has been delayed till at least August. Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) You know. There's so much much other stuff going on. Yeah, well, you know, it's been interesting because uh, it was like they were talking about how they expect to hit from Prime Day and they're pushing Prime Day. But, of course, they're operating at capacity and, you know, the warehouse workers are, are looking to strike and people are concerned about the virus spreading. And, and of course, you know, half the planet seems to be sheltering at home and, and ordering everything on Amazon. So there's certain things like I needed to part for the RV. Amazon was, you know, we're prioritizing the things that our customers need in order to make things work better for everybody during, you know, during the time of crisis or whatever phrase they use. And I'm like, I need this part to move my house. <laughs> Hello, eBay. <But> <laughs> it's not toilet paper. So oh, there's still none uh, of that yeah. on Amazon. I bought a package of t- toilet paper last week in a Walgreens. I was at a Walgreens picking something else up, and I was like, "Is that a pallet of toilet paper behind the counter, ma'am?" She's like, "Yes. Do you need toilet paper?" I'm like, "Yes, yes, I do." So try a Walgreens if everything else is out of, uh, or a drugstore, a big drugstore. Bueno. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I also want to give a shout out. I mean, our thoughts and thanks, like. You know, Amazon warehouse workers, UPS, uh, USPS, um, FedEx, supermarkets, fire, EMT, police, hospital workers, from docs and nurses to housekeeping and orderlies, and everybody's keeping all this running. There are a lot of sick people right now. There are a lot of people dying. There's a lot of people in the hospital. Uh, Thank you to everybody out there who's helping to keep the machine moving forward uh, during this time. Indeed. It's bad. And... uh, after that moment of, uh, let me shift gears before I start weeping on camera or on uh, on microphone. We got an email from Thomas. He says, uh, love the show. Glad you're back at it. Been a Patreon since the beginning. Patreon.com slash AVXL. Thank you to all of our supporters. And if you want to come, uh, you want to become one yourself, do us a favor, patreon.com slash AVXL. We're not going to charge unless you do four episodes a month. So uh, we hear you. And we should be here for you pretty steadily moving forward. Uh, Thomas says, what are your thoughts on 4K 60 frames per second movies? I recently watched Gemini Man on Blu-ray, and it was in 4K 60. I wasn't a fan. Yes, it looked very realistic, but that wasn't a good thing for me. All the special effects around Will Smith's younger version were so transparent. A lot of those action scenes just felt like I was watching a video game teaser trailer. I really hope more movies don't do this. 4K 24 frames per second just feels better. Thanks, Thomas. 
there's a couple things going on here, right? This is the, the soap opera effect, we've called it, any of a number of things. Ang Lee, uh, the director of Gemini Man, uh, loves Bleeding Edge Tech. He was, you know, his life of Pi was neck deep at 120 frames per second 3D, uh, which I think was uh, available in approximately four movie theaters in the United States when that movie launched. Uh, he really is trying to push a true digital cinema experience, right? He's trying to advance the technology of movies because 24 frames per second was a compromise in the early 20th century to make it easier to add sound to films. I kind of oversimplify there. 24 frames per second is way better than some of the frame rates that some of the movie houses were using, or I should say uh, producers were using. It does induce motion blur. That is a part of the experience. That thing that makes movies look the way they do is part of the motion blur that is induced at 24 frames per second. 60 frames per second looks really odd to most folks. It looks non-cinema-like. It doesn't look like film because it's not film. Um, I think this is going to change over time i think how we react to it is going to change over time i don't necessarily really i've looked at a few 4k 60 yeah. movies what was it billy lynn's long halftime walk was one and also more recently, <laughs> and more recently he actually shot it at 120 frames per second yeah the beauty of that is that's a multiple of 24 so you could get the improved per frame clarity that you're getting at shooting at these higher frame rates and yet transcode that down where you're showing each frame five times or whatever to get that proper multiple where it still has that film-like look, but each frame of that film could improve the clarity. Right. I think it would still maintain that filmic quality, yet somehow maybe improving the scene detail, at least the ability to perceive it. If that is acceptable or not, is something I would just like to see experimented with. If nothing else, even if you are shooting at 4K 120 or whatever, AK-120, at least it is a a multiple of 24, so they will be able to do a recode of that to look very filmic. Mm -hmm. With all the other improved benefits, like I mentioned, just having that faster frame rate is going to just improve that per-frame image quality with clarity alone as there's less motion happening, especially with anything moving within a scene. That's where you're going to really notice it. Yeah. I think for some movies, that would be really kind of cool, especially... Maybe some high-speed racing with lots of fire and other CGI effects and things like that, where having that crystal clarity, especially in that per-frame basis, is something you want. Maybe not in like a very, you know, cinematic close-up scene of a couple actors in a, in a you know, a closed environment and something like that. I don't think it would work everywhere, but I would like to see it. I'd like to at least see if it's more acceptable because I find just watching it at straight 4K60... It looks too soap opera-like. It is too freaking clear. (laughs) I'm paying more attention to things like skin. It's like, wow, I can really see the hair and the pores on that person's face. And (laughs) it's taking me out of the movie. So, and that's, I'm trying to, part of what I'm trying, I'm, I'm curious, right, is over time, especially if you have a generation of kids that are, are raised with super high frame rates on video games, does that change how they interpret it? Because I think you would say like 60 or 100 frames per second would be great for baseball or, you know, motorcycle racing or Formula oh, One or something. And it, it kind of Not already is. have any of those. Yeah. All, all um, the better yeah, sports presentations are, are recorded at least at 60 frames a second. It's not always delivered to you at 60 frames a second, but, you know, for, for that, the goal. where it is absolute clarity, <laughs> there are benefits right. to it. But when it comes yeah. to cinema... And for I'm, gaming, there's there's obvious benefits, but... Totally. For gaming, it's frame rate unlimited, because then it's like, when you start talking right. about pro gamers and Twitch-style gaming, where 
It's like <laughs> that it becomes an issue. Then there's some really good comparisons out there right now showing the difference between playing a game on a 60 hertz display, a 120 hertz right. display, a 240 hertz yeah. display. You see a clearer image with a higher frame rate if you have the hardware to back that up and actually deliver that frame rate to your eyes. Uh, there are benefits there. It's so, not the same as cinema. That's a whole different use case, but it's still. <laughs> I, I, I think you probably have picked up at this point, Thomas, that we are pretty much with you on 24 yeah. frames per second for movies. Anybody out there who actually thinks Ang Lee is moving in the right direction, if 60 frames or higher should be the cinematic experience for all of us, do us a favor, email ask at avxl.com, and we'll talk about that moving forward. Generally speaking, we tell you to hardwire with Ethernet, whatever you can, instead of using Wi-Fi. But, of course, Wi-Fi, it's getting better. Uh, it's too early for Wi-Fi 6 for most devices, right? The routers are shipping, but there's not much in the way of consumer hardware that uses Wi-Fi 6. Um, that will be good for all of us because orthogonal frequency division, multiple access, or OFDMA, um, that's the kind of the biggest or coolest thing, I think, in Wi-Fi 6. Uh, it uh, allows multiple clients to transmit simultaneously. It's going to relieve congestion. It's going to speed things up. Looking even farther forward, to Wi-Fi 6E, the FCC is voting on opening like 1,200 megahertz of additional bandwidth at six gigahertz. I uh, that first seems of all, the FCC useless. <laughs> I can't decide because well, one of the things they're pointing at is 2.4 and 5 gigahertz are super crowded. This might oh. actually be exclusively used for all intensive purposes, exclusively used by uh, Wi-Fi. I am not a big fan of 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. I find that it has uh, difficulties compared to 2.4 gigahertz, uh, depending on your house. Oh, so, totally. Uh, 2.4 remains we, quite popular just for that wall penetrating yeah. capability compared to 5, let alone 6 gigahertz. So, so we'll see. It's it's This is way out looking forward, but uh, you know, I'm also waiting to, to, to actually see some devices that use Wi-Fi 6 in the home theater environment. I certainly haven't had my hands on a laptop with Wi-Fi 6 in it. Uh, the routers are out, but very, very curious to see uh, what that does. Because one of the things we saw in the past, right, was 802.11n kind of sucked until uh, the next generation came out. And all of a sudden, 802.11n's performance was improved by later technology that technically it wasn't built for. So we wait with bated breath. I was doing Ethernet over Powerline networking, and it just wasn't fast enough. And I was using a really cheap setup, too. So I ended up just putting a, a really good Wi-Fi card in my workstation to connect to our local network. Mm -hmm. That's as good as me plugging it in directly. I am getting equivalent speeds and all of that. Granted, it's yeah. Wi-Fi and any hangups there. Speaking of signaling in general, if you are an over-the-air TV receiver, you, you are an enthusiast mm -hmm. of putting an antenna up and scanning with your TV's built-in tuner, start getting in the habit of about once a month, rescan. Or if you notice your favorite channel is suddenly not there, rescan. The deployment of the next-gen standard, ATSC3, is happening this year. There is no hard timeline on anything, unfortunately. However... Hmm. Certain cities in particular, I want to say Michigan already adopted some new channel changing where they reshuffled some things where you, oh, wow. you definitely want to start rescanning for your uh, your local stations at some point. Just just get in the habit. If you don't assume there's something wrong with your gear, it just might be that the channels got reshuffled finally in your neck of the woods and it's time to hit, <laughs> hit the rescan button and have a little fun and see what's see what's changed. I'm still not seeing any consumer ATSC three tuners yet. That's still right. a ways off let alone seeing that hardware even built into a TV. We're still a ways off. And ATSC3, the main benefits for that technology to me are the fact that we're going to literally an IP-based broadcast system. 
It is going to enable a lot of cool backend stuff in addition to services and content that can be delivered, as well as just simply having 4K finally as a broadcast, broadcast standard. It's just going to be exciting when it finally gets out there. And that ability then to transmit data to end users, in addition to having the potential for internet connectivity back, it really could open up the uh, airwaves as an affordable way for folks to really get some quality programming. Well, eh, relative to whatever actually you're watching, but the broadcasters have more options now and they're loving it. And it's slowly <laughs> starting to be deployed. So keep an eye on your tuner and rescan if necessary. I should also point out that it was 802.11n that improves 802.11g. Yeah. Uh, 802.11g was a disappointment. Oh, my goodness. If you got a question for us, we would love to hear it. Email ask at avxl.com. HeronFidelity.com is a place to find more Robert Heron. You might find more of me at a new website launching in a week or two, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut until it's actually open. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to AVXL. We talk about home theater and audio, and we hope we have interested you and been worth of your time. Been worth of your time? We yeah. hope you have enjoyed this time. We hope you've enjoyed the time we've spent with you today. And hey, if you hear of any other places that are doing free video for everybody during stay at home, uh, pass it along. Ask at AVXL.com. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.